0: Far it is to the west. What a great day. And Jesus, you'll be king. You are king. But you'll be crowned. You'll reign king of the universe. And we honor you today. We worship you today. We exalt you, Lord Jesus. We exalt you. We love you, Father. We thank you for your son and what he's done in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll be reading there in just a few minutes. been telling you for a couple of weeks that we're going to do a series of messages or a mini-series called The End. The End is Coming. It's, uh, I'll say this, it's closer today than it's ever been. I'm going to go on record right now and tell you the end is not coming on Friday, December the 21st, 2012. So I'm just telling you it's not going to happen this Friday. It might happen Thursday and it might happen Saturday, but it won't happen Friday. Let me tell you why. Number one, first reason why, is NASA has made a video and it's titled, and I'm not making this up, NASA has a video they're going to play on Saturday that says, Why the World Didn't End yesterday and if you don't believe me go to nasa.gov and you scroll around there on the right and you'll see they'll show this video it's about four and a half minutes long and i'm serious they're they're going to tell you why the world's going to end so i know the world's not the world's not going to end friday number one because the government says it's not going to end and you know the government always yeah, you know, they're always right right so uh, but uh i promise you ought to look up the video because it does give you some insight but we know the world, i tell you how I know the world's not going to end because the Bible says that when Jesus comes, it will be like a thief in the night and that no man knows the day nor the hour. But at some moment in time, the father is going to say to his son, go, and Jesus is going to tiptoe down the stairway of the stars and he's going to appear the sign of the Son of Man is going to appear, and He's going to call out His people. And uh, so it's, the end is coming, but it's coming on God's timetable, not ours. And I'm just, I just believe if it's Friday, He'll change it because He doesn't want anybody to know. But having said that, we know the end is coming because God's Word promises that it's going to happen. We also know the end is coming because the creation is crying out for redemption. Friday's tragic. Tragic murderous rampage in Connecticut is is more evidence that sin is rampant in our world that men are lovers of themselves beyond anything or anyone else, and completely selfish and god's judgment is going to be poured out god 's wrath is going to come on those who uh, who do not know him, and that's going to happen. The apostle Paul in uh, first Timothy uh, or excuse me, second Timothy chapter three, verse one says that there are going to be terrible times in the last days. And, uh, you know, we're going to see more and more of the, the terrible stuff that, that we see now. There's going to be more of this and there's going to be more of that. And it's just going to happen. And, uh, in the, in having seen that and having said that, um, The fact that the world's gonna come to an end should be a source of hope for the believer in Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that God has something better for us. The Bible teaches that there's gonna, there's coming a day, and there is coming a time when death does not have a sting. Where death has no sting. There's coming a time when disease uh, is non-existent. There is coming a time when, when heartache In pain and suffering will not happen. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And there's coming a time for that. And because there is, it's a time of hope. And it should give us hope as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ, you should have a tremendous amount of hope. Because no matter what happens... We're going to spend forever with Christ. He's going to usher in on that great day uh, joy and peace and hope and love and forgiveness. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 15, 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be uh, pitied more than all men. If for the believer, if this is all there is for the believer, then we're to be pitied more than all. But this is not all there is. The scripture talks so much about uh, the the idea that Christ is coming again. As a matter of fact, I was reading, I listened to a sermon uh, or a message this week and uh, the guy said that, uh, and I don't know where he got his data, but he said there's there's about five times more scripture predicting the second coming of Christ than there is the first coming. As you know, we're going to celebrate the first coming or we're kind of in the middle of that and we will especially on the 25th but there are over 300 prophecies that predict the first coming. And so Jesus is going to come again and it should give us hope. And there's a passage of scripture in, in 1 Thessalonians, beginning in verse 13. You may be familiar with it, but I want to use it as a jumping off point to talk about this. So let me invite you to stand together. We're going to read uh, from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter four, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. If I told you to go to the wrong place, my bad. Not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, he writes, encourage each other with these words. Thank you, and you can be seated. Thank you for uh, honoring the Lord's Word uh, with me. The end of the world scenario strikes all kinds of chords. Everybody's got a... uh, Well, not everybody, but a lot of people have an idea about it. If you talk to an atheist and they all... Tell you that you're archaic and you believe archaic stuff and you're whacked out and, and, and I understand because they don't believe and they don't understand. And if you talk to a Mormon, they may have another uh, theology or a Jew may have another theology. But what I want to do this morning and a little bit next week is I want to give us, I want us to look at a biblical view of the end time. Now, the biblical view of the end time involves a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. And for some reason I thought, we could do this in two weeks, and so you need to hang on. Uh, we're going to go really quickly, uh, and we're going to go really fast. What I want to do to begin with is give you an overview of end-time prophecy according to Scripture. Now, this is just going to be a quick overview. If you go ahead and uh, shoot that little timeline, what I'm giving you here is a suggested timeline. Now, it's important that you understand a couple of things. Number one, this is a suggested timeline this is kind of what i understand the scriptures to teach and what i understand the scriptures to say i'm not in error the scripture is but there are different interpretations but but let me just give you a, a quick timeline uh, i got a little pointer here so just try to follow me christ first coming to earth that's we're celebrating christmas now it happened nearly 2000 years ago uh pretty much we think that he was um he was born around A.D., possibly a couple years before. It kind of depends on how you interpret the dates of some of uh, the leaders of uh, uh, Herod's and, and some of that stuff. But anyway, Christ's first coming to earth, in his life, his death, burial, resurrection. Acts chapter 1, verse 10, 11 records his ascension into heaven. And then uh, the next day was the day of Pentecost. This little blank here represents the church age which was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. In other words, it began a period that we might call the period of the Gentiles or the Church Age, where the gospel, the good news of the gospel, was made available not simply to Jews, but it's made available to everyone. And so they begin to preach the gospel at the day of Pentecost, and multitudes begin to come to faith in Jesus Christ and to believe. Well at some point that is going uh that time of the Gentiles or the church age Is going to end uh, according to the scriptures. And there's a lot of, uh, the, there's a lot of scriptural prediction about what it's going to be like when that might happen. There's a lot of different things that are going to transpire. Uh, a lot of things to kind of prepare us for that. But at any rate, uh, then Israel's reestablished in the land. Then the rapture of the believers. And on my timeline, the rapture happens, followed by a three and a half year period of peace, a three and a half year period of judgment. That's what we call. Uh, scripture calls the great tribulation period. Uh, I'm pre trib, uh, I believe in a pre tribulation rapture, which means, which I'll go into great detail in a little bit. Let me just go on. But there's a seven year period of tribulation. The first uh, three and a half things are going to be wonderful. Somebody's going to come along and he's going to solve all the problems or most of the problems, and everybody in the world is going to think this is the greatest guy since sliced bread. They're going to think he, in fact, some are gonna, many are going to believe he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Deliverer. But after three and a half years, he's going to show himself for who he really is. And he's going to uh, desecrate the temple in Jerusalem. There will be uh, an event called the Abomination of Desolation. You read about it in Daniel and again in, in uh, Revelation as well. And when that happens in the middle of the Tribulation, God is then going to begin to pour out a tremendous amount of wrath on a, on a people that... We'll not believe in him. Now, keep in mind, we believe that, uh, that tribulation happens after the church has been taken out, which we'll explain in just a minute. But, uh, the great tribulation will culminate in a worldwide battle called the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, at least it's called the Battle of Armageddon or reference that in Revelation. Uh, it's not really given a, a title in, uh, but you can read about it in the book of Daniel. Interestingly enough, uh, I decided early in the year or at the beginning of the year that I was going to read through the Old Testament and, and then and do some reading in the New Testament as well this particular year. And so last week I read Ezekiel 38 and 39 which talks about that final battle. And then uh, uh, chapter 40 through 48 talks about a reinstituted temple in Jerusalem which will happen uh, here shortly. And then I was in the book of Daniel and it's amazing when you read Daniel about all the predictions that he made That have already come true. And then yesterday, actually Friday, I began to read in the book of Revelation. And uh, if you don't, if prophecy, that may not interest you, but I want to offer you a challenge this morning. I want to challenge you uh, between now and next week to read the book of Revelation. I don't know what the sermon is going to be next week. I don't know if we're going to talk about Revelation or we're going to continue on the second coming. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But here's my challenge to you this week. Is to read the book of Revelation. You'll need to read three chapters a day uh, to get there. That, now, uh, that'll take you about twenty or thirty minutes uh, or less. So, here's what I'm going to ask you to do: give up one sitcom or a half of a show, Sports Center fellas. Just give up one half of Sports Center. Just watch the short version on ESPN News, and you're good. Okay, you get it all in thirty minutes. But I, but I want to encourage. I want to challenge you. Because when you read the scriptures, it talks about what's going to happen. Now, a lot of people are afraid of revelation. You've heard people say, some of you have thought, you know, I, I don't understand it. It scares me. It's okay. It's not that hard. We'll, we'll go through some of that. But I want you to read it because you need to see what God's doing in the world in which we live and what God's going to do. So I encourage you to read it. Now, there's a promise. There, I've got to read it. I got a motive. There's a promise for you. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is next week. But there's a promise for you in the book of Revelation, and uh, it'll be a good Christmas present. So you read it. Dan, you got to remind me next week to answer, to what the promise is. But I want you to read the book of Revelation. Now that's extra. But, but when you read the book of Revelation, if you bring my little slide back up here, um, it'll what you'll find is uh, the Battle of Armageddon, then the second coming to Earth. Uh, 6 through 18 deals with this period here. Chapter 6 through 18. Chapter 19 talks about the second coming to earth. Uh, the last half of chapter 19 particularly talks about the second coming. Then chapter 20 deals with the millennium, the millennial reign, and uh, then the great white throne judgment, uh, or the millennial thousand-year reign, then the great white throne judgment, and then uh, the eternal state in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, a lot of that you'll find uh, toward the last part. ...of the book of Revelation. So I'm going to encourage you to read that and we, we'll talk about some of that next week because it's really important that you know, understand, know and understand that. But what I want to do this morning is I want to focus on this little, this little area right here because we sit over here. Actually, we sit right here. Man, you can tell I'm nervous, can't you? Two hands, I can't hold it still. But we sit right here and we don't know how big that line is, okay, so, what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about this idea of the rapture in the in the end, because literally the rapture, as I understand scripture, is kind of the beginning of the end. And it's a weird deal because you gotta be ready for the beginning. Because if you're not ready at the beginning, you miss. See, a lot of times we say, well, you just gotta be ready at the end. Well, no. You need to be ready at the beginning. So let's talk about why that's true. So what I want to do for the next few minutes, and I've got a few, is I want to talk about this thing called the rapture. And before we can do that, we need to understand that uh, a lot of things are going on in the world, prophetically speaking, that tell us that this rapture could happen quickly. Now, I don't believe it's going to happen Friday, it could happen, third, could happen today. But let me tell you why. Uh, Joe Rosenberg has written a book called Implosion. It's about America but in American end-time prophecy. It's a really interesting read. It, uh, it's probably not the most comforting book. I'm about 200-odd pages in. But he, he identifies at 20 signs of biblical prophecy uh, that we will see in the last days. Now I want to read them and I want you to see if any of these are happening. Uh, there's wars and rumors of wars. There's there's uprisings and revolutions and kingdoms being shaken, famines, earthquakes, pestilences and plagues, terror and growing fear, great signs in the heavens. We hadn't seen that one. Uh, the roaring of the sea and waves, the persecution of the church, the apostasy or the falling away of the church, betrayal, lawlessness, false teachers and prophets, false messiahs, increase in knowledge and travel, the state of Israel being reborn and increasingly becoming the epicenter of international attention. The gospel being preached to every nation. Amazing what you can do with the internet now. Uh, a spiritual awakening in Israel and among the Jewish people. A spiritual awakening in Iran. And an increase in mockery of the Bible and Bible prophecy. So those are uh, Rosenberg identifies that those are some things that we can look for. And Jesus talked about them. In fact, in in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus talked about entire prophecy. But I want you to listen to what he said. He gives a list of signs and we don't have time to read all those, but listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24 verse 30. He says, At the time, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now listen to this. Does it sound familiar? To what we just read? And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. It sounds a lot like what we just read about the rapture, doesn't it? That he's going to descend from heaven with the trumpet call of God and they're going to collect everyone that's elect, that's chosen, that's followers of Jesus Christ. But listen to what he says in verse 32. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. And so I say all that to say that, that there's enough stuff going on in our world to where the rapture really could happen quickly. Now, one of the most significant things that's happened really in my lifetime, actually before my lifetime, is, is the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Uh, for Scripture to be fulfilled... Uh, and for the end time to come, Israel had to get back into their homeland. Now, seventy-five years ago, most people believed that it would be impossible for Israel to have their own kingdom, their own nation. But the most significant thing that's happened in end time prophecy is Israel has been returned to her shore. All throughout, there's so many prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about Israel coming back, God gathering His people and bringing them back. And so, because that's happened, that's really paved the way uh, for what could soon be, at some point in the near future, the second coming of Christ. Now, one thing I want to caution you about, um, if you read and study theology, there there is a group of people that believe that the church in Scripture replaces Israel. In other words, that all the blessings that God promised to Israel in the Old Testament are are transferred to the church. The church has, in effect, replaced Israel. Uh, Let me just tell you, unequivocally, that is not true. God, if you study the scriptures, God has a plan for the nation of Israel. When the rapture happens, Jesus is going to take the church out and then... Uh, the tribulation is going to occur based on our timeline there. At the end of that tribulation, Jesus is going to come called what the Bible calls the second coming of Christ with uh, multitudes of his holy ones. He's going to judge the, the world. That's when the battle of Armageddon is going to happen. And then Christ is going to sit on the throne of David and rule over Israel in the city of Jerusalem. The scriptures in the Old Testament are extremely... Extremely clear that there's going to be a time that's going to happen in the thousand year millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now, so don't let people, don't think, well, you know, God doesn't have something for Israel. The church does not replace Israel. Uh, The church is the body of Christ, it's the bride of Christ. But when the rapture happens, the church is going out, and then God's going to do a new work, an exciting work in Israel. You'll read about that. When you read Revelation this week, you'll read about uh, thousands of Jewish people coming to faith in Christ. So you'll want to look at that. But let's talk about the rapture real quickly. What is the rapture? What does it mean? Where does the word come from? You, If you've read your Bible, you've never seen the word rapture. Has anybody ever seen it in Scripture? No, it's not in there. Some people say, well, the word rapture is not in there. It must not be true. Actually, that's not the case. If you have your Bibles there in First Thessalonians 4, verse... Uh, 16, follow along with me. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the loud command, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then look what happens. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. If you have a pen or a pencil underlined in your Bible or if you're on your iPhone or whatever, highlight that phrase, caught up. Very important phrase. In the Latin translation of the scriptures. There's a word that means caught up, to seize away, to carry away, to rescue from danger. There's a Latin word. It's rapturo. From it, we get our word rapture. The word translated there, caught up, is a Greek word in the, in the original manuscript, the Greek word harpazo. And it means to seize. In fact, it's used four other times that I know of in scripture. And it has variations of the idea to, to take something and and snatch it away. In fact, uh, they, it's used in uh, Acts chapter eight thirty nine. To there, it means to catch something away quickly or speedily. If you remember uh, the story of of Philip presenting the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter eight, he explains the gospel the eunuch puts his faith in christ and they go down in the water and they baptize him and when they come up out of the water the scripture says that philip was immediately taken away and he was carried somewhere else i don't know how it happened but that's the same word he was just carried away then the words used again in uh, john chapter six fifteen, and it means to seize by force in other words uh to seize something by force is just simply to grab it and to take it away and one of the meanings of that word caught up is, is literally to grab something and to snatch it away or to seize it by force. Then it's used a third time in 2 Corinthians 1 4 and it means to move to a new place. The apostle Paul is, is sharing about his vision and he said, I was caught up to a third heaven. In other words, he was taken and he was Either visually, either physically, or, or in a vision, but he was caught up and he was put in the third heaven. So it means to to take away or to move to a new place, and then also in Acts twenty three verse ten, it means to rescue from danger. And so when you look, when you put that together, what we know about the rapture is that Jesus is going to come, and and the trumpet's going to sound, and with a, with a shout, he's going to call his people, and they're going to be seized and taken powerfully snatched away and rescued from the wrath and the danger that's to come. And that's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, you might be thinking, well, has that ever happened in the Bible? Has that ever happened in the Bible? Yes. In in fact, in Genesis, in the book of Genesis... Anybody remember a guy named Enoch? Enoch walked by faith, and the Bible says he was taken, and he was no more. In other words, he was just caught away. And then also, anybody remember the story of Elijah and Elisha? Anybody remember that? They're they're walking along together, and this chariot comes, and Elijah is just snatched away. And Elisha didn't believe it, so he got a bunch of prophets... And I think I think they spent like three days looking for him. He's like, he had to fall somewhere. I mean, he went up in this whirlwind with a chariot. And he said he had to fall somewhere. But they couldn't find him. So imagine when this happens. Just think with me for a minute. If there's... We'll just round up and say there's seven billion people in the world. Because if we're not there, we're close. Okay? Just imagine if one out of seven people are followers of Christ. Imagine what's going to happen when a billion people... Disappear. Can you imagine what CNN is going to say? It's going to be wild. But it's going to happen. The church, the bride of Christ, those who are dead in Christ are going to be, they're going to rise first. And then those of us who remain, we're going to be caught up, snatched up, rescued, taken away, and pulled out of this world. Now I know some of you are thinking, man, that preacher, that, this is odd. This is kind of, that's kind of bizarre. That's kind of weird. Yeah. It's a mystery, in fact. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and following that it's a mystery. But that, that's what the, the rapture is a, a taking away, a removing, um, of God's people, followers of Jesus Christ from the earth. Now, so that's what the rapture is. So the question is, When is it gonna be? When, when is it gonna happen? And if we'll go back up to our timeline, uh, what I wanna do is I wanna share with you, there's, uh, there's five different ideas of when this thing might happen. Uh, it's gonna happen somewhere either before, during, or immediately after the tribulation period. So there's this window of time when it could happen. Let me give you five scenarios that it might happen, and then I'll share with you why, which one I believe is the most uh, biblical and the most defensible in Scripture. So, if we will go to the next side, the first view of the Rapture is what we would call post-tribulational, and that means the Rapture occurs at the end of the tribulation period, uh, and is literally synonymous with the Second Coming of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, again, the Second Coming is written about in uh, Revelation nineteen, eleven, and following. Kind of, there, there's there's a couple issues with this view, and th- the first is why would God raise us up, and then immediately send us right back down with the second coming. So I think there's some some problems with this view. Second view is what we call mid tribulation, and that is the rapture occurs at the halfway point of the seven year period, kind of in the middle. Um, when I was 14, um, I was a mid trib guy. I mean, as a student, so I just want y'all to know: when I was 14 years old, I was thinking about the rapture. And I don't know if y'all remember this. But I'll tell you why. When I was 14 years old, America turned 200. It was the year of the bicentennial. Anybody, anybody as old as me? Okay, there's four of us. Great, four of us. But I, I mean, as a 14 year old kid, I was convinced. I mean, the whole world was focused on America's turning 200, and it was the bicentennial celebration. There was all this stuff going on, and I and I, I was just thinking, man, if Jesus came tonight. Nobody would know. And I woke up the next day surprised because I thought, man, we're in the middle of the tribulation period. But I was wrong. Why? Because no man knows the day or the hour of when it's going to be. Now, there's a third idea, and that is the, what we call the pre-tribulation, and that is the rapture of believers occurs before the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. And so we'll talk about the pre-trib in just a minute. So let's go on to number five. If you'll go to the next slide. There's the partial rapture, and those believe that uh, people are going to be raptured at different times just before, during the tribulation, based on their faithfulness to Christ. Uh, I don't uh, purport to this one at all, but there are some that do. Then there's a, another view that's the pre-wrath rapture. The rapture occurs after the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation, but before the day of God's wrath, which is more terrible time of God's judgment. And so those are the those are the five different views. And then uh, I heard one guy say there's a sixth view. It's called the pan-trib. And that is, you don't know when the tribulation is going to be, but you believe it will all pan out in the end. And so that's not a theological view. But there are people that are kind of like that. They say, well, I don't know when it's going to be. I know it's going to be, so I'm not worried about it. Well, we shouldn't be worried about it, but we ought to be prepared for it. It's important that we be prepared for it. So, so Pastor Mike, why are you... A Pre tribulation uh, why do you believe or hold to the pre tribulation view uh, and so let me share with you some reasons why I believe it 's the most defensible biblical position again, this is a suggested timeline i'm uh, i 'm not saying with absolute certainty it 's going to happen uh, then I believe again it 's the most defensible biblical uh position and let me give you a couple reasons why i believe that is true number one uh if you read on through uh if you're still in first thessalonians if you pick up in chapter 5 verse 1 it says now brothers about times and dates we do not need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the lord will come like a thief in the night now if somebody comes like a thief in the night that kind of means that you don't know they're coming right isn't that the idea I mean, didn't Jesus say if you knew the hour the thief was coming, you'd be waiting for him, right? So the idea is that there is a, you really don't know when it's going to happen. Now, one of the issues, one of the biggest issues with the, the post tribulation rapture view is if it comes at the end of the tribulation and the tribulation is seven years long, guess what? We can count to seven, right? So we would know from the beginning you know, of the tribulation period when the Antichrist comes on the scene, we could count seven years and we could pretty much know when the day's going to be. And so that's one of the issues is that, uh, that he's going to come like a thief in the night. A second reason that I believe is the most biblically defensible is also found in chapter 5 of First Thessalonians. Look at verse 9. It says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to, put, to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know some people, some people believe that the church has to go through the tribulation so it will purify the bride of Christ? Now, that sounds good, except that it it means that Jesus' blood he shed on the cross is not sufficient to purify us and make us righteous. And so I believe that the church doesn't have to go through the tribulation because God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to obtain salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 3.10 also says, and just listen to this, it says that the, the church will be kept from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. There's going to be a, this is going to be a trying time. Now we think times are trying now. I mean, we got the fiscal cliff that we're going to fall off of in a couple of weeks. You know, we got all, you know, the world's going to come end on Friday. I mean, we got all this stuff that's, that's out there and we think, man, it's bad. No, it's really not. But it's going to get bad. You'll read about that this week when you go through Revelation. But the scripture talks about God's going to take his church out and deliver them from the hour of trial. And that's one of the reasons I believe it's the most defensible position in scripture. And um, another reason is, is um, uh, you know, is it the, the idea of imminency, that, that it, can, it can happen any moment. And it 's unpredictable, and we can 't calculate the time, is an extremely big reason. Uh, let me just share with you Titus two thirteen, uh, because it says that we should wait for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Savior. It doesn't tell us to look for signs. Paul doesn 't say, "Now, church, look for signs." He says, "Wait, look for the appearing." of our Lord and Savior. And so when you when you study the scriptures and I wish we had more time, but we don't. The rapture is going to happen, clearly scripture teaches it's going to happen. I believe the most defensible biblical position is going to happen before the period of the great tribulation. Now, that being true, since that is true, we have to be ready. You can't get ready. You've got to be ready. And so since the rapture could come at any moment, and I'm not saying it's going to, I'm just saying it could. It might. We need to be ready. And so as a follower of Christ, or or not as a follower of Christ, what should you do? Since Jesus is going to come again, since the church is going to be taken out, and then there's going to be tribulation, and then there's going to be the second coming, and then there's going to be the battle of Armageddon, and then there's going to be the millennial reign, and then there's going to be the great white throne judgment, and then there's going to be eternity, what should we do? Well, there's two things. Just two things. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, the wisest thing for you to do is to repent of your sins, to put your faith in Jesus Christ today. Okay, that that's an that's a easy one. It is going to happen. It's not a question of if. It's simply when. And you can't be ready unless you give your life to Jesus Christ. Some of you here today, You've never crossed over the line from unbelief to belief. You, you say, well, you know, I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. I kind of believe in God, but I don't know about Jesus. I, based on the authority of Scripture, I'm just telling you what Scripture says. That you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Okay? And you need to do it today. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 uh, and verse 2, it says... Uh, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. And so we, number one, the first thing, if you're not a believer, you need to give your life to Christ today. The wisest thing to do is to not leave this room until you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. That's the wisest thing Now, if you're a believer, the question then becomes, what should we do? Well, the scripture says in the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, we should encourage one another. Uh, The scripture says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, it says we should stand firm, be immovable. And then it says we should always be about the work of the Lord. And that uh, he will reward us if we do. And so so what I would say to you, if you're not a believer, you ought to give your life to Christ. If you're a believer, you ought to be sold out to Jesus. Because you don't know when he's going to come. And so you ought to be totally sold out. You ought to be about out to be about his work. See, if we took a survey this morning... I bet 95% of you, if I said, how many of you are followers of Jesus Christ? I bet 95% of us would raise our hand and say, I'm a follower of Christ. Most of us who are followers of Christ are not really about his work. And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean to, I, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I just want, I want us to think about this. Since Jesus is coming again... And he's going to take away those who believe in him. Shouldn't we be telling people about him? I mean, shouldn't we? Because I, I, I think I speak for most of us. Most of us who are followers of Christ have not shared with anyone this week about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Most of us have not shared with anybody. I mean, I, I only personally shared with one person this week. And so if, 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 since we believe that's true, I mean, shouldn't we share the gospel of Christ? Now, I, I know, I understand we live in a, a culture, in our culture, we, have, we think the default is that people just die and go to heaven. That's what most people think is default. If you go to, if you go to the funeral home, uh, here, and I heard a guy talking about this and he's right on, uh, this week. If you go to the funeral home, then people say, well, you know, he's in a better place. You know, I know, I know she wasn't, you know, a real church goer. I know she wasn't really a, you know, this but they're in a better place. We think the default is that when people die, they just die and they just go to heaven. The problem with that is it's not biblical. We think the default is that Jesus is going to come and everybody that's not an axe murderer or a drug dealer is going to be taken up and go to heaven. But that's not true. In fact, look with me at your copy of the Scriptures there, chapter 4, verse 17. 17. Actually, uh, we need to go back to um, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And, and look at this statement. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then it goes on to say, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Those of us who follow after Christ. you Everybody's not going on this trip. They're not. If you're not in Christ, you're not going. That's what the Bible says. That's why Jesus came. And so as a follower of Christ, that should compel me. As a follower of Christ, that should compel you to share that story with other people. Why would we not? Why would we not? And so I want to I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you today. If you're not saved, you ought to be saved today. If you've never trusted Christ, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you ought to do that today. But if you're a follower of Christ, like I'm a follower of Christ. We ought to share that story this week. We ought to tell somebody this week. Our boyfriend or our girlfriend or our classmate or our husband or our wife or our neighbor or the guy we work with or the people, the girls we hang out with. I don't know who it is, but we ought to tell somebody the gospel, right? I mean, since this is true, we should tell them. We should share with them. And not sit idly by thinking, well, somebody else will. And so I, just, I, I hope this week, I mean, my, my challenge is two things and, and uh, I got to be done. But let me just say this. Read Revelation and tell somebody about Jesus. That's your homework. Read Revelation and tell somebody about Jesus. I mean, imagine what, what influence we would have. On our world, if we all told somebody about Jesus this way, I- imagine what an influence we could have. Let's pray together, Father. I know, God. I know when you talk about this, and some people are like, "I don't get the prophecy," don't you know? Don't um, don't know about it. And, you know, I understand that the message like this just kind of lands in all kinds of places. And God, I know that uh, there are some here. And they're not followers of Christ. And they're not church people. And and it's kind of new for them. And I know they're like, wow, that is... God, I understand that. I understand that. But God, I also understand the truth of the matter is that Jesus was born the first time, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, was resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven... And he's going to come again sometime soon. He will come back in the same way that he left, according to Acts one eleven. And Father, if that, that's, since that's true, everyone needs to be ready. And the only way to be ready is for a person to give their life to Christ, to be born again, to place their faith in Christ. And God, so I pray for those that that maybe they're not sure, or maybe they don't they don't even know if they believe in the Jesus. God, I just God, I just ask you that today they would say yes to Christ. They would right even now simply pray and say, you know, Lord Jesus, I, I don't understand all this, but I do understand I'm a sinner, and I want to put my faith in you, and I, I want to. I want to be yours when you come. And Lord, I pray they would just make a commitment like that today. But Father, for most of us here, Lord, we're believers. We're Christ followers. But God, we're we're not really serving for the kingdom. We're not really living for the kingdom. We're, We're not really giving a lot to the kingdom not really focused on the kingdom and God I just I pray Father I pray that today you'd do a work in our hearts God do a work in my heart I, I want to I tell somebody the story this week that Jesus King. and God I just pray that you'd help us as believers to do that to not just let another week pass. And so, God, I, I pray for us, for me, for us, that we would surrender to Christ in light of the fact that you're coming again, that we would surrender to Christ and, God, that we would serve Christ until he comes again. And so, God, I just I pray that you do that in our heart. Father God, we're going to receive our offering this morning before we conclude. And God, I would just, uh, I would just ask, is that God, as we bring our, uh, our offering to you, that you'd take what we bring. And God, you, you'd use what we bring to tell the story of the gospel. God, that we would use our gifts to, to tell people in Wimberley and in our valley and in our county, And in our little part of Texas, and and even in our nation, and even to the end of the world, that we would use what we bring, God, to tell this story about Jesus. Because He's going to come. God, He's going to come soon. And so I ask that you take this offering, and that you use it to tell your story. He's coming. The Lord is coming we need to be ready even so come lord jesus come lord jesus we ask these things that you're awesome and mighty